Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. You know, the beloved Methodist pastor, Dr. Charles Allen, tells a story of a friend who came to him one day. I love this story. His friend was nervous, tense. He had literally worried himself to death. You, you know people like that? Because of all the anxiety and the worry, they're just sick. The man's physician had suggested that he go see his minister, and thus he did. Of course, they talked a while, and then Dr. Allen took out a pad of paper. Now listen to what he said. If you went to see a doctor, he'd give you a prescription, right? That is what I'm gonna do. Now, I want you to take this prescription exactly the way I write it. For the next seven days, I want you to read prayerfully, carefully, the 23rd Psalm. When you wake up in the morning, before each meal, and before you go to bed at night, I want you to read the 23rd Psalm prayerfully and carefully. Pastor Charles Allen says that in a week, his friend became a completely different person. That's the power. The power not only of God's word, but the 23rd Psalm. You know, I heard it said that the 23rd Psalm is the most powerful, the most prominent, the most loved, the most used, the most preached on, and the most written upon Psalm. It's the most amazing thing. Thousands have memorized it and millions have shared it. Now here's why, and here's something you probably don't know. Because of all the Psalms, it's the only one that has every one of names of God in it. Did you know that? Every attribute and who God is, is in this Psalm. For instance, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. You can find that actually in Genesis 22. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who is healer and restorer. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of peace. Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Shama, the Lord is here. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner. And of course, Jehovah Ra, or Jehovah Ra. I love that. The Lord, my shepherd. And it's to this that we're going to begin a brand new series, a series I've entitled Living in the Goodness of God. Because I contend this is the only thing that matters. And everything else will follow. And I'm so excited. So if you got your Bibles, I want you to go to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And as you do, I want to help you with something that I think will help in reading this psalm. Because for us to really get it, it has to become personal. For God's promises to experience the power by which they're written, you have to own them. And so I think I'll help you and I'm gonna show you what I'm talking about. So here we are, Psalm 23, six simple verses that are filled with unbelievable power. Watch what I do. The Lord is Keith's shepherd. See, I would encourage you when you read it, put your name in all of the personal places that are listed, okay? The Lord is Keith's shepherd. Keith has all that Keith needs. 
He lets Keith rest in green meadows. He leads Keith beside peaceful streams. He renews Keith's strength. He guides Keith along the right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when Keith walks through the darkest of valleys, Keith will not be afraid. For you are close beside Keith. Your rod, your staff protect and comfort Keith. You prepare a feast for Keith in the presence of Keith's enemies. I'm always fearful when I read that because I'm fearful that it truly is a feast. Like there's probably more than there should be. (laughs) You honor Keith by anointing Keith's head with oil. Keith's cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue Keith all the days of Keith's life. And Keith will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I think it's so important that we personalize. And so again, look at the very first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. He's Keith's shepherd. I have all that I need. Think about that. You know, Robert Ketchum, in his book, I Shall Not Want, he tells of a Sunday school teacher who asked her students if any of them could quote the entire 23rd Psalm. Well, little four-and-a-half-year-old Sally raised her hand, which the teacher thought was a little sort of ironic. But she said, well, then please stand and then turn and share it with the class. She stood. She faced her class. She made a little bow And then she said, the Lord is my shepherd. And there was a long pause. And then she said, it's all I want. (laughs) And then she bowed again and she sat down. Now, listen to this very carefully. I think we'd all agree that she probably overlooked a few verses, right? But yet I think she fully captured the entire psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. It's all I want. Here's my question. Has the entire psalm captured you? I mean, is he really your shepherd? Be careful before you answer. Because see, I think if there's one thing that we most certainly need right now, especially if we're going to have a life that's worth living, we need to have a faith. A faith in something or in someone that is big enough to get that done. And everybody has faith in something. And the question is, is that something able to get it done? See, this is where David begins. The Lord is my shepherd. But I think it's in the Gospel of John. And I want you to go, if you got your Bibles, to go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Because I think it's here that we actually get a real understanding, if you will, of who this shepherd is. And I think we get a glimpse of what David was really saying when he said, the Lord is my shepherd. So if you have your Bibles, John 10, and I'm going to begin in the seventh verse. So Jesus explained this to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. And notice there's no other way. They will come 
and they will go freely and they will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, here it is. Verse 11. For I am the, what shepherd? Good. Good shepherd. And the good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He'll abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. He isn't their shepherd. Look at verse 14. But I am the good shepherd. Now here it is. I know my own sheep and they know me. That's why I ask. When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, is he your shepherd? Do you know that? Or maybe better said, does God know that? But he is a good shepherd. That's who he is. He isn't any shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And by the way, if you go back to the beginning of Genesis, when God says something's good, it is what? It's good. good. All right? It's good. Okay? You know, Matthew Henry, the commentator, says it this way. For as he is good to all, so he does good. You see, that's who God is. He's a good shepherd. Everything he does is good. He is good to all his creations, from the highest angel to the meanest of worms. Those are powerful words, but now watch this. But to devils and damned sinners, he is not, for they have shut themselves out from his goodness. You know, I've had people say, well, if he's such a good God, then how can he send anyone to hell? And I want you to listen to this very carefully. He didn't. The good shepherd came that they might have life. Those people sent themselves to hell. You, you follow how that works? I'm the door. You come through me, you get life. That's what a good shepherd does. I know my sheep and my sheep. I'm saddened to say this. It, it, it saddens me to think there are some people who want to spend forever without the good shepherd. I don't get it. But this is important you catch this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have no wants. I have everything I want. Every promise of God hangs on the power of that one verse. And if I could sum up this message, it would be this. God is good. But do you really know that? And do you believe it? You know what Psalm 100 says? The Lord is always good. That's who He is. He is always loving and kind. And His faithfulness goes on and on and on and on to each succeeding generation. That's who He is. He is faithful. He cannot be anything but that because He is a good shepherd and that's what goodness does. Now, again, the question is, do you believe that? Or maybe better said, is your life a testimony of that? I'm going to show you, because we do, we, we do it a lot of times at the church, God is good. All the time. And all the time. God is good. All right. Do you really believe that? God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good when you're suffering. My Bible says he's still a good shepherd. 
when the doctor says that you have cancer, he's still a good shepherd. When you're in pain, he's still a good shepherd. When you're in conflict, whether internal or external, he's still a good shepherd. When you feel depressed, when you're stressed out, when you're worried, he's still a good shepherd. When you're under attack, when your back is against the wall and you feel like the wall is on your back, he is still a good shepherd. See, that's gotta be a testimony, an anthem of our heart. I can't do that for you, but he's already done it for me. It, look what the Bible says in Psalm 34, verse nine. Worship God if you want the best. Now watch this, because worship opens the doors to all God's goodness. Do you know what worship is? It's the belief that God is good. That's what worship is. That's what the Psalms were. So many of them are songs. They're songs of worship in the midst of some of the most difficult and adverse of times for David. But David was like, the Lord is my shepherd. Because we're going to look at it in this series. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is my shepherd. He's a good shepherd. It doesn't matter what I face. Thy rod, thy staff is with me. He prepare a feast for me before my enemies. It's not about who's against me, it's who's, who's for me. But it all comes down to, is he, is he a good shepherd? Is he your good shepherd? Now, we're going to talk about three things that I think are important that happen when we forget it. And I want to help you with this because I think what we're going to do in a moment, you're going to get a picture of this country. You're going to get a picture, I think, of the church, of what it shouldn't be. Because we're going to look at three things uh, from God's word of what happens when we forget that God is good. But before we do, tell me what's going through your mind right now. Well, when you were reading, um, reading Psalm 23 and just even just before that, when you were talking about all of his names, just all of a sudden, even just with you speaking his name out loud, just brought this peace over me that I wasn't even expecting. Just the power of acknowledging God and His names and speaking it and talking, talking about it. I mean, like, it's almost like you feel like you could sit here all day and just talk about how good God is. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to just spend time talking about what I'm stressing about or not getting this done or, you know, what I'm struggling with. But if I spent more time just speaking about the goodness of God, just how, how much peace that would bring. It just kind of wells up, um, like inviting His presence here and just, you know, just saying all those names and His name, glorifying Him just by speaking those different names. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. We as a people, we tend to complain about our circumstance and it's a big thing to understand that God is all we need. Like you were talking about 30, uh, Psalm 34, 9, uh, fear the Lord, you, his godly people, for those who fear him will have all they need. Um, he's our shepherd, and we have to remember that he can guide us as long as we follow his direction. I find in society, in human nature, that we, we take two things and then we try to combine them. One is life circumstances, 
and the other's God's nature. And so when, when life's going good, well, it must mean that God's good. And when life's not going good, well, it must mean that God's not good. And those are two totally separate things. I, the person you remember, Dave Busby, who was a youth pastor, he's now in heaven, but uh, died of cystic fibrosis. And I remember him saying in the last part of his life, he said, listen, if I, if I die, which is a very uh, painful situation of, of his illness, he said it has nothing to do with this, the goodness of God. It's like the, the men in the fiery furnace, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you do. This doesn't change ever because they're separate. And our problem is we try to put them together. And God is good. Doesn't matter what's going on here. God's always good. It's who he is. Yeah, exactly. It's who he is. So three things that happen, that tend to happen when we forget the goodness of God. It's an important we catch these because read it speaks volumes to what you just said. We have to keep them separate. God is always good. Amen. This side of heaven is not. But that has nothing to do with how great God is. But here's the first thing. When I forget God's goodness, I will start depending on myself. When I forget God's goodness, I will start depending on myself. Now, we, we get this story in Luke 12. If you want to go there, I would encourage you to go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, and look at the 13th verse. Because Jesus tells a story of a very rich man who had been very successful extremely successful, made a lot of money. And as you read the story, one day he's surveying his efforts and he looks around and he says to himself, just look what I've done. Look at all the things that I've accomplished. What am I going to do with it all? He's feeling pretty good about himself. And here's what he says. I'll just build bigger barns. Now, I want you to catch this because we've talked about making money. And I say this, God's okay with how much money you make. You make all you want. There's just some guidelines, some godly principles that need to go along with it. So what he said isn't bad. It's what he didn't say that makes the story a very, if you will, not good story. Do you all notice what he didn't say? Thank you, Lord. I mean, it's okay to go, wow, look at all this. Praise God. Nowhere does that come up in the story. Listen to what God says. You fool. You fool. Tonight, you're going to die. Now, I want you to listen to this because that's a sobering reality and I don't think we get it. I think we want to interpret the story in the immediate moment. But according to Solomon, every day, whether you die now or you die 30, 40 years from now is an immediate moment, true? In the span of eternity. What I want to get at is we're all going to die. Every one of us are going to die. And I want to give you a fact, a principle you need to know. There is nothing you've ever accomplished in and of yourself. That is a lie of the devil. Yeah. No one has ever accomplished anything in and of themselves. It's absolutely, first of all, it's virtually impossible if you just remove God. Well, I made all this money. Where'd you get the money? 
It took someone to help you get the money. It took their money for them to give you your money. You, you follow that? Well, I invested in the stocks. Oh, so someone must own those stocks. You follow me? You see how it works. No one has ever accomplished anything in and of themselves. And if you pull back the layers, God has had a hand in every bit of it. Every bit of it. I want to ask you a question. What do you think the worst sin is that you and I could ever commit? I just want you to ponder that for a moment because I'm going to give you the answer. We, we, we probably already have thoughts in our minds, but it's probably not the one that I'm about to tell you. According to the Word, word of God, it's prideful ingratitude. The worst sin you'll ever commit is prideful ingratitude. Do you know what that is? Forgetting that God is good. He's a good shepherd. I don't need anything. And you have forgotten. You have forgotten. Did you know that it was prideful ingratitude that got Satan kicked out of heaven? Mm -hmm. It's crazy. You see, when we stop being grateful, <laughs> I will tell you, trouble is lurking at the door in extreme ways. You know, my dad, I just offered this. He, he's been saying this quite often for the last several years to me, but he says, he says, if you truly have a grateful heart, can you sin? And, and I think what my dad is saying is right. Do you know how you live a sinless life? Be grateful all the time. If you really had the anthem, the Lord is my shepherd, <laughs> Wow, I have everything I need. God is so good. You'd never sin. It's the worst sin. I'm going to show you in Acts chapter 12. King Herod was the king in Jesus' day. And one day King Herod put on his royal robes. You can read the story. He sits on his throne and he makes a speech to all the people. Now, it must have been a really good speech, okay? Because the people begin to shout and they say literally, this is a voice of a God. He is more than human. And anybody know how Herod responded? <clears throat> Thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Give me some yeah. I, want, I want to show you what the Bible says. Because Herod gave no credit to God, the Lord sent an angel to strike him down with a fatal disease, and he died. Now, here's what I want you to catch and not miss. God did not take his life because he was immoral. God did not take his life because he was greedy. God took his life because he was ungrateful. That's powerful. Someone once said the problem with a self-made man is he tends to worship his maker. And it's true. Psalm 22, the previous psalm says, God inhabits the praise of his people. He wants to hear his people say, man, wow, God, 
It's that old B.J. Thomas song. Thank you, my Lord, for the beautiful day. Thank you, my Lord, I'm so happy to say. Thank you, my Lord, for the flowers that grow. There'd be nothing I know without you. Oh, that's what God desires. By the way, you probably don't know this. Did you know that ingratitude is the root of atheism? Did you know that? You know, people, atheists that don't believe in God? Ingratitude, being ungrateful is the root to it. I'll show you. In fact, if you go to Romans chapter 1, I want to show you what Paul says. You go to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Here's what Paul says. Since God created everything. Who created everything? God. Okay, everything. People have always been able to see his goodness. So that they have no excuse for knowing him. Do you see the root of atheism? You see, whenever you have creation, you have to have a creator. So let's say you're on a mountainside and you walk down a mountainside and on the trail's a rock. And you'll probably think, well, that's just an accident, right? And it must have rolled down the hill or maybe some erosion. But let's say you're walking in the middle of the mountains and nobody's there. And you look down and there's an Apple Watch. Well, you're going to pick it up and go, oh, that's an Apple Watch. And you know that someone created that, right? Because you're going to look around going, who lost it? So I'm not alone out here. It's an Apple Watch. I just find it interesting that man made a watch and we know that someone created it. And yet you look out at creation, which is much more complex than an Apple Watch. And you don't even know or pay homage to a God who made it. See, here's what I've discovered. If you don't believe in God, it's because you don't want to believe in God. Right. You want to be God. That's right. right. See, this, this passage right here is the reason I don't believe there's atheists. I don't believe there's anybody who doesn't believe there's a God. I believe that everybody who says that are mad at God because they want to be God. And they wanted, they wanted God to give them what they wanted. See, I think people who don't believe in God, see, they want to be the master. They don't want anyone telling them what to do. But I want to help you with something because it's really important you catch this, that nowhere in Scripture, and I already know that some of you are going to check out of the message now and you're going to have to prove that I'm wrong, but you're going to send me things in English, which is the issue that I'm going to explain here. But, but nowhere in the Bible is the word follower, a disciple, a believer, is called a servant. That's the English translation, the best we could do. But anytime that you're a follower of Christ and you have that label, you're always called a slave. You see, a servant is one who says, hey, got everything done? Uh, I'm going to head home. Is there anything else you need me to do? I'll be back in the morning. They can own something. You see, a slave can't. They can never leave home. They don't own anything. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you don't own anything. It's all His. 
And you'll want it to be his because he's the good shepherd. I have everything I need. I don't need anything. I want you to catch this because Paul goes on to say in Romans 1.21, they know God exists, but they do not give him credit for all he's made. And watch this. And they're ungrateful. Did you see that? Their thinking becomes confused and their hearts fill up with darkness and they think they're wise, but really they have become fools. Do you see how the problem begins and I start trusting myself rather than God when I forget the goodness of God and the reason why? Ingratitude. See, when I forget how good he is and grateful for that, I'll start depending on me. What's going through your minds? Uh, I think of King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, we get so big-headed that we don't understand that it is as simple as God is great. God is the greatest thing. Um, what was written on the wall for King Nebuchadnezzar was many, many tekel a parson. And that was, you have been weighed and found wanted. And that means that regardless of how big we think that we have become, we're not enough. You know, the weight is not enough. And we want to, we strive to be a big part of creation. We stri strive to have a big and uh, indelible mark. And it's God. It's only through God that that mark can be made. And we sometimes forget it, but we lose sight of that. I think of the 53 years that I spent on the other side thinking that I was all that, you know. And then five years and eight months ago, he takes me down and he lets me understand that he is all that I need. No more worries. I don't have to worry about that. He's got it. Each and every day before my feet hit that floor, God, your will, your way, that I get up and let me think more often of others and less often of myself. What a complete 180, you know, from five years and eight months ago. But all because he is good, and he is that father. We need to remember that, not just the good times, the bad times, but every moment of every day, he is there. The world tells us we're supposed to be great. The world teaches us that, that we're supposed to be great. Um, the world tells us that we don't need anybody. Um, but I think it's interesting, it's interesting how David starts out by the Lord is my shepherd. Mm -hmm. We have to admit, we have to say right up front that we're not the master. We have, to be, we have to humble ourselves and say that we're the sheep. We have to humble ourselves and say that, that we need God. And I, I, I love how he starts with that statement. We have to start there. I mean, you think back in history, not that many hundreds of years ago, People thought that the earth was the center of the universe. And they couldn't conceive that, that we were the center until finally enough, you know, telescopes and so forth realized, oh, I guess we're not. We're, we're a small part of it kind of thing. And yet today, here we are, everybody has a camera in their hand through their phone. And what's the number one picture taken? A selfie. We still think we're the center of the universe. We still haven't gotten over that. We still think it all revolves around me. Oh, I landed, you're right. When we finally say, 
Uh, uh, no, it doesn't. That's the beginning of wisdom where we understand who God really is. Then. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, for what do you have that God has not given you? Yeah, exactly. And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. But here's the second thing that can happen when we forget that God is good. I'll stop asking for help. See, I'll start depending on me, but I'll stop asking God for help. This is a big problem because when we forget how eager God it is that, that God is wanting to help us, who would he start depending on? Ourselves. And let me tell you an evidence of it. You'll see people pray less. And boy, do I see that in our world today. See, the Bible says we don't have because what? We don't, we don't ask. It's crazy. So my question is, why are we not asking God? Why are we not beckoning his presence? I mean, I've heard people say this to me. I find it always humorous. They'll say, well, I pray, but I only pray about the big stuff. You know, I'm not going not, not to let God sweat the small stuff. I need to tell you something about God you need to know. Everything that you go to God with is small stuff yeah. to God. Okay? I, I need to let you know that. All right? Uh, do I go outside and wear a coat today? Uh, do I pray God to heal cancer? It's small stuff when you understand who God is. But watch this. But because he loves you so much, he makes it big to him. I mean, when you think of who God is, small stuff. Absolutely. But because he loves us so much, it'll get my undivided attention. I matter. Yes. Yes. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Let me ask, do you trust God more than you did six months ago, a year ago, two, three years ago? Now think about that. Do you really trust God? See, I fear that some might say, no, not as much, especially in the last six months. And I've had some people say that to me, and I'm like, wow, really? Like, you haven't grown through COVID? I don't know about you, but I grow in spite of COVID <laughs> because I don't want to be reactionary. I'm in a relationship. See, if you can't say yes to that question, that means you stopped growing. You stopped asking. And there lies a problem. If the Lord's your shepherd and he's a good father and you understand that, you'll always keep going to him. Let me help you with a, an understanding of it. It's the growth cycle. And faith grows the same way, like a child. So when a baby's born, um, it has unmet needs, true? true? It doesn't even know it has unmet needs. Mm -hmm. It just knows when it's hungry, it does what? Cries. cries. <laughs> when it poops its diaper, it cries. cries. When it wants to be held, it cries. cries, right? It can't formulate words, it just knows that there's a need that's unmet, right? So the child then uh, it knows that it needs some help. So it then moves to a place of expressing that, which now then involves the parent because the parents say, oh, we got a problem. And the parent does what? Meets the need. 
Do you see how that works? So they pull the child out of the crib, they change the diaper, they feed them. And what happens? The child calms down because the child's learning to trust. You see how that works? Your faith grows the same way. Because in God's eyes, we'll always be a child. And some people say, well, you mean I should go cry and whine and all that on God's shoulder? Yes! <laughs> it keeps you from my shoulder. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but that's what God wants. If you read the Psalms, that's what David does. He continues to cry. The Bible even says that I cried out to the Lord. And if you read some of the Psalms, he's actually whining a few times. Why is this happening to me? But notice who he's going to. And guess who keeps showing up? God. And in, in Acts, it says, and David was a man after my own heart. See, that's how God wants us to grow. But if you're not crying out to God and you're not asking help, you ready for this? You're not growing. You're not growing. Luke 11 if you, as imperfect parents, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? See, God says this all the time. Hey, look, Keith, you don't have to tell me how to make it happen, all right? Uh, hey, Keith, I got it all figured out. You don't even have to recommend some ideas, all right? Just call on me. I'm the good shepherd. I have everything I need. That's what David is doing. Listen to what the Bible says in Hebrews 4. Let us come boldly to the throne of our good and gracious God. Notice that word again. There we will receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it. That's why I shared about prayer. I never stop praying. It doesn't matter if I have a wayward child, I'm going to pray. When I get behind the wheel of a car, I'm going to pray. And we laugh at one, we go, oh, and one we'll laugh at, but both are important to God. And I'm here to tell you, if you've seen me drive, <laughs> you'll be glad I'm praying, okay? <laughs> and you should be too. So talk to me. What's going through your mind? I think it comes back to humility again. We have to be humble in order to ask for help. Mm. I think God's been showing me in the last few years that I think humility is the greatest thing that we can do because we have to be humble to acknowledge God and to ask for help and it starts with him but then we also show humility toward each other. I had the pleasure today of taking my um, best friend's mother. Uh, he passed away several years ago and she's 92 so I get to run her on errands and she's been having a rough time and she said Michael do you think I pissed off God? I said, oh, I don't think so, Mom. I think what you need to do is pray about that. So we talked about what maybe heaven would be like, and we talked about prayer and how powerful it would be, and we talked about gratitude and the wonderful things that she's had and done over 92 years. And she put her hand on my leg, and she said, I think I'd rather be there than here, but I'm okay being here right now. And that, to me, has been one of the most peaceful things that I've heard her say since I've been taking care of her, that I'm okay here, but I'm looking forward to there. That sets up this last one really well. 
And so here's the third thing. When I forget the goodness of God, I will become pessimistic about the future. Y'all see how this goes? When I forget that God is my shepherd and I have everything that I need and he's a good shepherd, I will then what? Start depending on myself. I'll stop asking for help. And exactly what the devil wants, I get pessimistic about the future. You see, hope is based upon the goodness of God. All of our hope is based upon it. And unless we believe that God is truly good, we become hopeless. You see how that works? We'll then start, what, living in the moment, for the moment, as if the moment is all we have, rather than living in the moment with a sense that it might be the last moment that I get to really make something count for eternity because I might be home very soon. You see the difference in it? And so people do. You, you'll hear it. David said it this way, and I, I want you to notice in Psalm 27, the connection between hope and the goodness of God. Here's what David says. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I'd seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I had seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. See, if I believe that God is good, I won't question what is next to come. But I'm going to show you something else as well, okay? But I hear a lot of people, you know, in the moment, your mom asks, what's heaven going to be like? A whole lot better than this. I have people come and ask me that. And I always say, oh, that's just the wrong question. I mean, because I've had people say, Man, like, like if I give my heart to the Lord and die, I'm going to be like in a place of white and, you know, and clouds. And, and I'm like, you watch way too many movies, dude. <laughs> you know? uh, and I say, look around. What do you like? And they'll say, I love the mountains. That's heaven. How do you know that? Because it was in Eden before sin. And God's trying to restore Eden without sin. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be great. Days of just hearing the rain fall. How great is that going to be? Days of just walking through the fields of rye and wheat, laying on a beach and just watching the, the waves. No sin, no sorrow, with a good body. Yeah. <laughs> How cool is that? Like you actually want to be on the beach with other people. You know what I'm talking about? So David adds, he says, wait patiently for the Lord. Now watch this. Now he just got done saying, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I had seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, right? The Lord is my shepherd. It's all I need right here, right now. And I believe that. So he says, wait patiently for the Lord. Do not miss this. He says, be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Now, why does he say that? Now, watch. Because patience, waiting on God, is an expression that you truly believe that he's a good shepherd and you have everything you need. When you and I get in a hurry, when we go into debt, 
Do you know what we're really doing? We're not trusting the one that holds the future. We're trying to make the future for ourselves. That's what that is. We're looking over the wrong fence. And you're really saying, boy, I need this, I need this, and I need this. So you go and buy it, and now you've got a lot of debt. Why? Because evidently he's not a good shepherd that you have everything you need. That's why the Bible says just wait upon the Lord. So I tell people all the time, before you make a purchase, pray about it. But it might be gone tomorrow. Well, there's your answer. Thank you, Lord. You see how that works? By the way, I, I, I believe this. Too many people have bought themselves a non-miraculous life. I know a lot of people, you missed the miracle because you went out and bought it. You wait upon the Lord, guess who shows up? God. Just wait. Just wait. Why? He's good. You have everything you need. One of the most biggest problems in life today is our inability to delay gratification. <laughs> and it's evidence that he's not being a good father. That you don't believe it. So here's what I want to do. I want to wrap this up by suggesting a couple things. Before I do, talk to me about this last one real quick. I find when I'm impatient, um, it's a scenario where coming back to this, that here's circumstances and here's God. Sometimes we tie it together. What do I find when I get impatient? I'm putting this before this. So, for example, whatever I have my hand in front of, I can't see this hand very well. So if I'm focused on how life is and circumstances, I don't see God. I don't see his goodness. I can't, because all I see. But if I do this, then this is still there, but I see how good God is. And that's why it's so important, at least for me, I have to start every morning in God's word. I have to start it. Because if I don't, this will come up front. And that's why God, the question God's asked me all the time, all he asked me is, is read, am I enough for you? Really? Really? And if this is in front, yeah, then you are. Because this stuff's still here, but I, I just don't see very, I just don't see very much. If it's this, I know I'm Haitian. I know I got this. I got this mixed up. That that ties into um, the um, our focus um, in life, and we have to remember that God is all. Um, you were talking about faith, and um, and faith is like it said in the Bible. It said faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So. We have to put our faith in God because God provides and God is the provider of everything. I find myself a lot, probably a lot more recently of separating my, want, separating my wants from my needs. So when we read here, you know, um, it says, I shall not want in my translation, you know, okay, I, I want things. That's my nature. I want things. But do I really need that? And um, just having an attitude of prayer and just going to God and just saying, okay, is this a want of mine or is this a need of mine, God? Because you're going to supply all of my needs. I don't, I, don't, I don't need the things I want. I want the things that I need, and you, you will provide those. I think about how unnecessary and um, getting caught up in the chaos or... Um, being dragged off this way or that way, if we were just to ask God first, stay focused on that, 
We wouldn't get caught up in the chaos. If we would seek him first instead of asking our friends, we wouldn't be misled because we would be led by God. There's a couple things I want to encourage us to do as we start into this new series. And the first is this. Maybe you're, def maybe you're fighting depression. Maybe you're, maybe you're fighting discouragement, doubt, or despair. I want to encourage you to do what Mike did such a beautiful job with his mom. And that's this. Focus on the goodness of God. Amen. Focus on all that God has done for you. Get your eyes off the problem and get them on the things that God is doing. And, and you know the old song, count your blessings. Yeah. And, and here's one of the best ways that you can do it. Write them down. Yeah. Something written sticks a whole lot better than just sitting and meditating on it. Write them down. Start counting your blessings, the goodness of God. And here's the second thing. I want you to make a covenant with yourself and with God right now that I am not going to miss the remaining five weeks of this series. That's right. I really mean that because this may be the most important series I've ever preached. When you understand God and starting to learn to live out the goodness of God, everything else follows suit. Your perception of God, how you define God, how you understand God and really believe your entire life will follow. And I could say it this way, as you look at your life right now, it has everything to do with how you define God. He's a wonderful God. He's a good God. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't want anything else. <laughs> I think Sally got it right. I don't want anything else. Let me pray. Father, you are so good. We sing it. He's a good, good father. But do our lips, are they really revealing our heart? Do we live that every day? When we get up, when we go through the day, when we go to bed at night? Is our anthem as David... The Lord is my good shepherd. I have everything I need. I need nothing else. God will provide. The Bible says in the riches of his glory. You love to pour upon your children. Maybe, God, that's the problem. We're always looking for monetary things rather than the true eternal things. You're a good father. You're a good shepherd. And we don't need anything else. God, I pray right now that we would covenant with you. That, God, I am not going to miss. And I know that Satan's going to do everything he can to try to bring up distractions and pull us away and make excuses. But, God, I pray that we would covenant and then commit our lives to be open for you to speak into them as we walk through this psalm. God, I'm believing Miraculous things are going to happen, supernatural things. Things are going to change in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button Take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. 
we love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.